Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining today. Today we have on Roxy Moreno. She is 47 years old and she lives in McAllen, Texas. Roxy was diagnosed with prediabetes with an A1C of 6.1 in January 2019. Shortly thereafter, she found fasting in February 2019, and she was able to bring her A1C down to 4.7 through fasting alone. Later, she was able to change her diet quite a bit, and we get into that in our discussion. Roxy is one of the moderators of the Delay Don't Deny Facebook group, which is based on the teachings and books by Jen Stevens, who wrote Delay Don't Deny and Fast, Feast, Repeat. Roxy is also one of the admins for Jen's off Facebook private group, and we talk about that a little bit. She's a huge proponent of the clean fast. She's had a lot of time doing fasting. She's over four years in, so she's had some challenges, as we all have, that have been fasting for a long period of time, and so we talk about that a little bit. She's also lost quite a bit of weight. She started out at 200 pounds. She's 5'4", and now she's back to her high school weight, the 160s. She's not a daily weighter, so she doesn't know exactly what her weight is, but she's been able to get back around to her high school weight, which is just incredible. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Roxy. I had a great time speaking to her. Hi, Roxy. I'm so happy to see you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, it's really nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, of course. I can't wait for everybody to hear your story. Um, Before we get into your story, do you want to just give us a little bit of background about yourself, where in the country you live, your job, that kind of thing? Okay, sure. Yeah. I'm from um, South Texas, specifically McAllen, Texas. And for, I think, eight or nine years in a row now, it's been voted as the uh, most obese city in the United States of America. So um, that's where I live. And it's very evident that we are because we do deal with a lot of diabetes, not type one, but mainly type two diabetes and pre-diabetes diabetic issues. including and not limited to, you know, dialysis, um, kidney failure and things like that. So I'm from a place where we have been exposed to and know about type type 2 diabetes since we were younger. So I'm uh, a speech language pathologist. I work with children and some adults, but mainly a pediatric speech therapist. And I own a small rehab um, where I live. So that's a little bit about me. That's great. That's good. Good background. Um, yeah, I really want to hear, I definitely want to dig into where you're from a little bit more and also your diabetes history. Maybe you can bring us back to when you found out that you had prediabetes, your family history with diabetes. I'd love to hear more about that. 
Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so when we were young, we were around my grandparents a lot and my maternal grandparents and my maternal grandparents were both diabetic. So we became very familiar with a glucometer, my sister and I, when we were younger. So there was no such thing as CGMs, of course. Um, so there was, we only relied on a glucometer. So we knew how to stick fingers and we knew how to um, collect data. However, unfortunately, here it's very common where you get, you know, you get a stick or prick and it's in the 300s, 400s and people just kind of blow it off, you know, like, oh, I need to take my metformin or, you know, whatever the case may be. But um, most of the time people do not know or are not aware of their numbers because unfortunately a lot of people where I live are not covered by insurance. So they're uninsured Americans and um, so there's no access really to healthcare or it's very limited. So there is a problem with that too. But when I was younger, both of my maternal grandparents, my grandmother and my grandfather were diabetic. So my mom is diabetic and was uh, is type two diabetic as well. And she is on metformin and she has been for quite a few years, I would guesstimate eight to 10 years. Um, and then my dad, is type two diabetic, but he's insulin dependent. Um, and, you know, you never know from looking at him, he's six, four, and he's, he used to be so thin before the insulin. And, um, but they're both diabetic. So that's kind of what my background is. And I really felt for a long time, I didn't know better. I feel like, and that's because I am a medical professional. I really felt like type two diabetes was my fate. I really thought that that's just what was going to happen. So in January of 2019, I went to the doctor and it was a big wake up call because I was very overweight. Um, I was almost at 200, almost exactly at 200 pounds. But my doctor wasn't really concerned about that. I mean, they were concerned about that. But the main thing that they were concerned about was at that time was my A1C. And... Um, that was at a 6.1. So my that was okay. very pre-diabetic range. And they basically told me that. The reason why I had gone into the doctor's office at this point was not because of my weight, was not because of any symptoms that I was having for type two. I kept having a pain on my right side under my rib. And um, I had a scan and I had some blood tests and I had a non-alcoholic, uh, liver fatty disease. So I had NAFLD. So I had a fatty liver and that was proven through an ultrasound. Like I said, I went to Austin to get the ultrasound and then I had some blood work. So I confirmed it. So that's when I kind of freaked out and I said, okay, I need to do something about this, but I'm going to be very honest with you. My diet was very poor. I mean, typical standard American diet. And even down here, it's worse. You know, we have a doctor who fasts down here and he says that we have the worst, the best of the world, the worst of, of two worlds, because we have all the American food. And then we have all the Mexican food because I literally live on the border. I mean, we drive 10 minutes and we're at, you know, the border. So we've got all of that good stuff and then all of the American fast food. So my diet was really terrible. Um, so then a friend of mine at work gave me a copy of Jin's Delay Don't Deny at that point. There was no fast feast repeat yet. This was January of 2019. I read it in February 
after my diagnosis of prediabetes and the fatty liver. And February 4th, February 3rd, I read the book. February 4th, I completed my first fast. So the minute I read the book, I started my first fast. I fasted 16 hours and it was relatively easy. So I loved it. Um, I had been off of Facebook for about eight years for personal reasons. And I decided to join Facebook again, just so I could do Jin's groups. And nobody can build a community like Jin. I mean, just an amazing community of like-minded fasters, super positive. She doesn't allow anybody to really, you know, there's no bashing in there. There's, everybody has to be nice. And I, I liked that. I feel like that's why I had left social media to begin with. Um, so I uh, read the book, started my first fast. And ever since then, it's been four years later and I'm still a faster. Wow. That's quite a story. Uh, can we back up for a second? Because I want to ask you when you had your A1C of 6.1, did you, did your doctor prescribe metformin or anything at the time? They didn't. So I asked them to please give me time that I would work on it myself because I've never really been on any kind of medication and I didn't want to start at that point. I had always been really active. Um, I played basketball in college and then when I got a little bit older, I became a runner. I did a couple of triathlons. So I thought if I could just get the food portion right, I could really get a handle of this. That was my plan going in. I didn't know that fasting would be the route to it. So I please, I asked them to please hold off on the metformin. I've never taken it. No. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, that's very interesting that you had the confidence in yourself that you weren't going to get on medication given your family history. And another question about your dad, was he always insulin dependent or did he start on metformin and then he ended up graduating to insulin later? So my dad um, was on metformin first, but his progression was so fast. He was, I think they tried to start him like on 500 milligrams of metformin. Then they did like the, the time released one, like XR and that didn't work. Then they did like two medications, like one in the morning, one in the afternoon. It wasn't cutting it. So my dad is actually on insulin and metformin. Um, so he's he does both actually. Okay, wow. So you you really have it running strong on both sides, mm-hmm. the diabetes. So yeah, I can understand why in your mind you're like, this is like, you're predetermined. This is your fate. That yeah, this that is was- gonna happen to you. Yeah, 1000%. I thought it was my fate. And both of them have high blood pressure and issues as well. So I really, I really thought that that's just what was going to happen. I didn't know that there was, you know, a choice or a chance that it wouldn't happen. Incredible. Wow. So you found fasting, you started fasting right away. I love that. I I did the same thing, like, pretty much as soon as I found it. Um, I heard Jen on another person's podcast about diabetes. I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. Cause she had talked about the clean fast, which I had tried fasting before, but not in a clean fast way, which I want to talk about with you later too. Um, but yeah, I picked it up right away and it was great. But so you, you start fasting what a, a month or two after you got that 6.1 or how, how far, what was it? The time frame? One, One month. month. Um, okay. January. I was diagnosed in January and I started my first fast February the 3rd. So it was, it was three weeks, maybe. Okay. So then you started fasting. What kind of protocol did you, you started with the 16, eight, and then maybe we can talk more about how it went. Yeah. 16, eight, I did maybe for a couple of days. And for some reason, I just really took to it. I had never really been a big breakfast eater. 
The other really big advantage that I feel like I have, especially for the clean fast, is that I'm not a coffee drinker. So I wasn't into all the creamers and into the sugar-free, whatever people do. Like I, you know, I, I, I just don't drink coffee. So I feel like that helped me a lot with the clean fast. It's not, um, the only reason why I was successful. Um, I also feel like I'm, I was never really naturally a breakfast eater. I just don't wake up hungry. So the 16, eight was really easy, but really what I went into really quickly was a 24 and a 22, two. And that kind of was my sweet spot for, I would say 14 months. I did OMAD. We call it OMAD. Um, Jin has a very different, um, just like everything that she does, we have we have a very different definition for OMAD. It's not one plate a day. It's not OPAD. It's OMAD. And Jin's is about five hours long. She doesn't vary from about five hours. And everybody else kind of makes up their own protocol. My favorite was about a two-hour um, eating window, but I would go up to four hours, five hours as well. But it was pretty consistent for those 14 months. And in 10 months from January, when I started until November, when I redid my lab work and my ultrasound for my birthday in November, that's what I gave myself as a birthday present. I had reversed both conditions. I no longer had a fatty liver and I was no longer pre-diabetic. And that was simply from OMAD, but it was literally very consistent. Saturday, like Jen likes to say, is not a special occasion. It happens all the time. So I fasted the same on the weekends as I did during the week. Yeah, that makes that we're very consistent. Uh, so you did that. What were the labs that you got back in November? In November, I had um, gotten down to my AD from a 6.1. In May, it had gone to a 5.7 because I did I did some in between. So in May it had gone down to a 5.7, which was great. And then in May of 2020, I guess I didn't do one in November, but in May of 2020, which was a year later, it had already gone down to 4.7. There was one point where I was at 4.7. Wow, that is amazing. And I know because seven right now, just that's like just I think that was like the lowest I had gotten. Excuse my interruption. Yeah, that's, that's incredible that you were able to do that. And I've listened to you and followed you on, you know, other, other things. And I know that you really didn't change your diet that much during that time. Right. I did not. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because that, that to me is very interesting that this was basically all accomplished through fasting. Yeah, I didn't. And, um, for those 10 to 14 months, really 10 months, I didn't change a thing about what I was eating. I would come home and I would literally eat whatever I wanted to. I mean, you name it, um, I'd eat it. And um, I'm a big Coke drinker. I was still drinking sodas. I don't drink sodas anymore. That just naturally kind of went away. Um, but I ate everything. I had no, I was, I already knew going into fasting. I had no agenda for food. I didn't want to do a keto. I didn't want to do a plant-based. I didn't want to have a, something that I was doing with my food as well. My, and I feel like that's still a big 
recommendation or suggestion for everybody is when you first start fasting to simply focus on the clean fast. And that's really what I did. And just consistently do that. Because to me, looking forward to food that you enjoyed, that was a big thing for me. And that's how I would get through 20 hours or 22 hours. And then naturally that starts to change. You know what I mean? But I didn't have any kind of agenda going in where I'm going to fast and change my diet. Because to me, at that point, that was very diet mentality. And when I started fasting, I dropped all my diet mentality at the, at the door. It was, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do it for my health. And I had listened to so many videos and read so many books about fasting. I just knew that this was the way to change my health. And irregardless of the food at that point that I was eating. But yep, I ate everything, everything I wanted to during those 10 to 14 months. So after those 10 to 14 months, you did change your food a little bit, right? Naturally, yeah. And I changed my fasting protocol. So can you speak to that a little bit? I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, so I felt like I needed a change from OMAD and I felt like the hours were really coming easily and I felt like I needed a little bit more healing because I do have some naturally occurring inflammation for some reason in my body. I don't know if it's because my mom has rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, I've never been diagnosed with anything like that, so I don't want to say that that's what I have. But I do, my uh, my CP, uh, my um, C-reactive protein is always elevated. So I do have underlying inflammation issues. So I decided to do an alternate day fasting um, protocol. So that's how I came up with Mealist Monday. I'm not the only person who ever has gone mealist on a Monday. I don't feel like I created a one day a week down day, but I thought it would be really fun to get the rest of the community involved and to teach people that having a down day, that's what we call it, um, the day that you don't eat um, is very manageable and it has huge health benefits. I mean, Mark Mattson uh, is, a is a scientist and he's wrote written papers about this. Dr. Jason Fung is a nephrologist and he's written books about this. So an alternate daily fasting pattern is amazing. So I started with one day so I wouldn't be overwhelmed by it. I got the community involved and then Within a month, I did a 5-2, which was two down days in my week. And then in another month, I did three down days. And not that I was pushing, it just naturally happened. I just, and then I went into an every other day protocol. Literally every other day, I did that for eight months. Um, and in that, I feel like my food changed and my taste changed and, um, it was very organic. It happened very organically. Nothing was forced. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I want to hear more about how you feel when on your down days, because I have, I struggle with ADF. Um, I just feel that maybe it's because I, actually it's not because I'm type one, because there's plenty of people that have type one that do multiple day fast and they don't have any trouble with it. It might just be a me thing. Like fasting is such an individual experience that like, for me, I like to be a daily eater. I just don't feel right when I have down days, even if I do a 500 calorie down day, I just, I just feel I'm obsessive about food. I'm just hungry the whole time. Like it, it's hard for me. Can you talk about how you feel during your down days? Cause it sounds yeah. like you actually feel good during them. <laughs> 
I love them, but I feel like everybody is different. I did not love them in the beginning. So when I started fasting and I was part of Jin's community, um, she had like an advanced group. And now I feel like her actual group off of the community off of Facebook is an advanced group. I mean, we're talking about advanced topics in there. So we had something similar on Facebook. Um, and I saw all these people doing like, you know, down days and, there was like these people that I had heard on the podcast. I thought I'm going to do it. So at six months, I tried two weeks of a four, three protocol. I said, I'm just going to go in there and do it. That was crash and burn. I hated it. I just dreaded it. And I gained six pounds um, because on the update I can eat. And um, so then I said, okay, I'm not going to do that. Let me go back 10 months I tried it again because the hours were just kind of adding up. No, again, four, three, I could not get through it. It was the most awful experience of my life. I thought, I don't know how people do this. This is so terrible. So then at 14 months, I think I was just ready. And I don't feel like that's one of my things that I wanted to say is I don't pe think that people should push hours if they're not ready to. Because it isn't for everybody. And I feel like most people do well on a daily eating schedule. I knew I had to do things. So I had to reduce inflammation. That was the point where COVID was starting. I've never, knock on wood, I don't know if that's a Hispanic thing, but I've never been diagnosed with COVID or had symptoms of it in this whole time. So I really, really attribute that to my longer fasts, my hand washing, uh, all that good stuff, but really the, the longer fasts. And I feel like because I did alternate day fasting for so long, I feel like that helped a lot with my immune system. Um, so I feel fabulous on a down day. Um, I don't do them as often now either, but when I was doing them and I never ate the 500 calorie meal, I just couldn't do it because I can't contain myself to 500 calories. I'm just not good at it. Even if I wait till the end of the day, 500 turns into 1500 real quick. And um, I do have a lot of tips that I share in Jin's community. I try to lead the Mealist Monday um, group every week. I haven't failed since uh, May of 2020. So we're already at three years. I run it every week and I start from the night that we're going to have them. So my tips like to you, like the first night, like going into our first night, all we're going to do is concentrate on that clean fast. I don't know if people know how important that clean fast is. So later when we get into the clean fast, I feel like that is really magic and whether people hate it or dislike it, it's very important, especially for a longer fast because you don't want to get hungry. So I, the first night I tell them, you know, we got to start with a clean fast. And then the morning, the following morning, I just think about, I remind them to think about everything that they can do besides eating that day. Uh, save your favorite Netflix, uh, save your favorite show on Netflix just to watch it on that day. Um, your favorite sparkling water, like mine is the unflavored Topo Chico. I only drink them on my down days. You know, things that you really look forward to. If you want to go to the movies, if you want to take a hot bath, if you want to go shopping at TJ Maxx, um, whatever it is, you save that for your down day. You know, and it really is about perspective. You need to keep your why in mind. Why am I having this down day? Because when you get hungry, 
and you really don't get super hungry. I think it's like maybe 20 to 30 minutes of hunger. But when those 20 or 30 minutes of hunger that are very real kicks in, you want to be able to tell you, ask yourself, why am I doing this? And I knew why I was doing it. So I feel like I really held that really close to me. And um, so I feel like that's really important as well. So I feel really good on my down days, but it really is all about perspective as well. You know, just keeping a positive perspective. And if you absolutely dread it, then it shouldn't be done because there's really no reason. And I feel like there's a ton of health benefits in a daily fast. Gin only daily, she fasts daily every day. And so do thousands of our members on the platform. There's some people who have never done a down day and that's okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I've, I've played around with it. Like I said, and I just, it's, it's the more I do it, the more I'm like, I don't think this is for me. I just, I have to, I'm a daily eater and I, I usually fast like anywhere from 19 to 24 hours. So I get a pretty good fast going, but once I start getting beyond that 24 hour mark, things start to go off the rails for me a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, that is, we love fasts of 19 plus hours. That is where the fat burning's happening. Um, that's where all of the magic is happening, you know? So I think that's, those are really great fasts. And for anybody, those are really great fasts, especially when we're starting as well. It's a great fast when we're starting and it's a great fast, I mean, to just keep throughout your whole time because at least it's consistent. Anything that's consistent is going to work. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I've noticed too. So now you're doing the meal list Monday still. So you at least have one down day a week and then are you doing any other down days or is it pretty much meal list Mondays and that's all for you right now? And then you do some sort of daily eating. That's correct. Yeah. So right now I just have one down day. Sometimes Thursdays turn into a down day. Um, I have some ran random days that turn into down days, but mainly nothing is ever planned anymore, to be honest with you. I can't say that I set my, um, my app or the timer for a certain time, um, but mainly I always try to hit 20 hours. Do you end up being, I mean, I know your schedule is a little bit different depending on the day, but like, are you more of a lunchtime eater? Or are you a dinner eater? Like, how does that normally work for you? My favorite, my favorite time to eat is lunch, but I am a dinner eater right now. I feel because I'm so busy at work. Um, right now I'm the only SLP, I'm the only the full-time speech therapist there. So my day is very packed. So I like working through then during lunch, quote unquote lunch, I go pick up like an unsweet tea, like from Sonic or unsweet tea from like Chick-fil-A or McAllister's or whatever. And I work the communities. That's really my time to like work Jin's community. So by the time I know it, it's dinner time. And that's when I've been eating recently. And let me just circle back to your diet, if you don't mind. So you were eating everything you wanted to eat during the first 10 to 14 months. After that, what kind of things did you start eliminating from your diet naturally? Because I understand it was sort of a natural progression, right? It was a progression. I just heard your latest podcast uh, episode, which I really enjoyed because I had a long stint of, well, let me start with. So for 14 months, I 10 to 14 months, I basically ate whatever I wanted to. Towards the end of that 10 to 14 months, I was incorporating more whole foods, um, more fruits and veggies and things like that. And down here, uh, we have so many fresh 
fruits and veggies. So it's really nice. There's no reason why I shouldn't have been eating them or anybody down here shouldn't be eating them because we have access to them. Um, and they're relatively inexpensive because of our proximity to Mexico. And um, so after that, I feel like my diet has definitely changed into a more whole foods eating way of life. Like that's, I just eat more whole foods. Um, I prefer to have, you know, like fresh veggies and cut up uh, fruit versus, I don't know, like, I mean, I was, every day I would eat a Twix, every day I would eat a Kit Kat. I was like the queen of little Debbie cakes, you know, every single day I had something that was processed. I don't drink sodas anymore that naturally I just at one time I took a, a sip of coke and I was just like did they change it like what happened it just tasted completely different you know like once in a while I'll have a Dr. Pepper and it still tastes good I can't lie but um that's it's very rare and um like I said I've just become like a more a whole foods based eater so it was funny that I was listening to your show so you said that you've been eating you haven't eaten sugar not besides fruit since March 20th until right now right uh yeah I think it's actually March 6th but yeah basically that's right yeah mm -hmm. 20th. so last year the first day of spring March 21st I started where I started uh seeing a physician from Houston to help me with my inflammation and he is a huge proponent of protein forward meals, basically. I don't wanna say carnivore because everybody just, you know, it. that's a little drastic, but because I do always eat peppers, um, I am from South Texas and I like everything spicy. So I eat a lot of peppers and all that good stuff. But so for eight months, from March until, yeah, for about eight months, all I did was eat protein focused meals. So when you were saying how you didn't have like any more cravings anymore, or you didn't want any of those things, I can totally relate because it's the most amazing that the, the most amazing things happen to your body. They really do. Um, so I feel like I mainly still eat like that. There's sometimes where I will incorporate a little bit of like quinoa or a little bit of jasmine rice or, but not compared to how I was eating before. That's great. Yeah. It's uh, that's good that your, yeah, your diet changed in that way. That's very helpful. And have you, so you had that, that low A1C of 4.7. Do you still get your A1C checked or, or how, how are you managing just making sure your diabetes does not come back? No. So I, I, I have not, but because, and I don't even monitor my weight, to be honest with you, I'm not aware because it does affect me. And Jen always says, if that number is going to affect you, do not get on. Think about the, think about your goal body. Don't think about your goal weight because that is very, that's very arbitrary, you know, like, um, so as long as my jeans still fit, as long as I don't feel like, as long as everything still fits well right now, because I already have like my maintenance clothes, I feel like, I feel like I'm doing well, but I would like to run some blood tests and I need to just do it um, 
I'm an awful stick. Uh, to be honest with you, that's why I don't go more often. It's very hard to find my veins. It's complicated. So I don't go as often as I should. And I do need to get in there. So if I do run lab tests soon, I'll be the first to update you because I really need to get in there and do it. But I don't monitor anything right now, um, to be honest with you. But because I am a faster, I am a daily faster and I haven't returned to eating the way I used to, I'm pretty confident that everything is okay right now. Yeah, it probably is. Uh, I mean, if you don't want to go back and get tested necessarily, you could uh, just get a, you know, a glucometer, borrow one from your grandparents or your dad or something and just oh, check your yeah. blood sugar every once in a while. I do have a glucometer. I love my glucometer. I always have to do a plug for the contour next one. I love it. Um, and I also have some CGMs that I had received from Cygnos. So, um, I have used that and I do really well, but then I do have a lot of issues still, unfortunately, with some glucose control issues. I don't do well with things. I don't react normally like everybody else would to breads and rice and especially rice. Rice is the worst culprit. And so I'll eat even a half a cup of rice and I hit 202 easily. You know, it's just... There's no like little graph that's nicely, that's nicely crawling up. No, it's like spike. Like, what did you eat? You know, so I do have some blood uh, glucose control issues still um, that I'm working on. But I really feel because of my genetics that that may always be how it is. Yeah. And I mean, there may come a point where you just say, like, for me, example, I, I, as an example, I just don't really eat carbs anymore just because I don't feel like dealing with trying to figure out the insulin for it and having to deal with the highs and the lows. And I just said, life's easier without it. So, and I don't crave it anymore. Um, just like you didn't really crave those things either when you were doing that very protein forward diet. So I don't know, maybe at some point in the future, you decide I don't need rice anymore in my life and that's okay. <laughs> Yep. I think I decided that for a long time and actually still it doesn't, I mean, I'll have maybe just a tiny bit, um, but I totally agree with you. I, and I feel like I wish everybody, especially where I'm from, I am, I mean, this is just in my heart. I just want to educate everybody about the fact that diabetes is not only reversible, but it type two, excuse me, um, and pre-diabetes. It is not only reversible, it is preventable, especially down here. And I feel like if everybody could get a CGM, if everybody could get a glucometer, those numbers cannot be unseen. I would love for somebody to see what their number is after drinking a Dr. Pepper or after drinking orange juice or, you know, I don't feel like, you know, or a piece of toast or tortillas, you know, like, I mean, down here we eat three flour tortillas like with every meal. Like I would love for somebody to see that number because like I said, you can't unsee it. And I think it is a disservice that CGMs are so difficult and expensive to get here in the United States. I agree with you completely. Uh, you know, and I have a couple people that I know that are recently diagnosed with prediabetes or type two, and they get a, a CGM and they're just shocked by how their body reacts to these things. And it's like knowledge is power. You know, once you know, then you can take steps to change it, but people just don't know that they don't, 
they don't put two and two together. Like, why do I feel so tired after I eat those three flour tortillas? And if they could have a CGM, maybe they would understand why. Yes, you know? I I think it's awesome that you're type one diabetic and that you're fasting because actually in Jin's community, we do have a couple of type one diabetics and there's other people who are asking for their family members, hey, can a type one diabetic fast? And I feel like it's a very real question because, and our very real answer is, of course they can. They just have to have an open and honest conversation with their physician to make sure that everybody is on board and knows what's going on because that's really important too. Because of the insulin dosages, boluses, um, that's really important. So we always advise them to speak to their physician. But I feel like if people knew the insulin they would have to give themselves after an episode type one, type two, I just feel like everything would be so different. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. You're right about that. Um, I want to, you, you, you have so much knowledge on, on so many different topics, but before we go further, I want to talk to you a little bit about your involvement in Jin's communities because you're the, one of the moderators for the delay don't deny Facebook group. And you're also an admin on Jin's private um, off Facebook group. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So when I came back to Facebook um, after an eight-year hiatus, I joined Jin's groups right away. So she has DD, she had the DDD uh, Facebook, the original one. Then she had an advanced, and then she had an OMAD. Um, and I was just in there all the time. She probably thought, who is this little Latina girl who is just driving me nuts? And I would just be in there you know, answering questions or helping anybody that I could. I was just so passionate about it. And I still am. I, that is just my passion. And so she um, asked if I wanted to be a moderator. So I was a moderator for all three of the groups. And there was very few people who had that status, like Laurie Lewis, who was like, you know, she's, a, you know, one of the, one of the people who everybody knows in the fasting world and Sherry, uh, Jin's co-host on her podcast. So there was very few people who were the moderator for three um, groups. So I felt so honored that she wanted me to do that. So I did that. And then when she was going to create her face, I mean, her, her platform in circle communities, that's what it's called, circle communities. Uh, when she was going to start her circle community, she asked me if I wanted to be one of the admins. So it's her, it's her, her it's Sherry, Jen, and myself. And those are the three admins on there. And it has just been just an amazing thing, you know, just to help so many people and to help people reach their health and wellness goals. And um, I feel very blessed every day to be able to do that. Yeah, those are two great groups. Uh, I, I'm a member of the DDD Facebook group. And then I was a member of Jin's circle community too for about a year. Um, and a lot of great stuff goes on in there too. So that really is, I'm sure it's actually, you know, it's probably a lot of work, but I'm sure it's very rewarding. Yeah, because we had moved off of Facebook initially and that was a terrible move. Um, the community, uh, the platform just was not easy it was not user friendly but Jen went out of her way to get everybody converted who replied to emails and um, all that good stuff to into community 
And now we've been running strong with Circle Communities and it's an awesome platform and it's very functional, very user-friendly. So that's been good because the first one that we had gone to was not good at all. And Jin really hated that because she wants everything to be really great for her members. So anyway, so now we're doing better, but um, she is like a huge workhorse. She literally gets up at 5.30 in the morning, her time. She's Eastern as well as you. And she works that community from like 5.30 a.m. until 8 p.m. And she's in every single post. And so I've learned so much from her. And I've learned that you don't have to have a, that you can be diet, diet agnostic. Like you don't have to pick anything. Like there is bio-individuality. And I feel like that is the biggest lesson within her communities besides the kindness and besides the support. I feel like some people thrive plant-based, some people thrive carnivore, some people do well in the middle, like a ketovore or keto or, you know, she talks about mastering diabetes guys and they're, you know, they're plant-based as well. So we get it all in there. And I feel like that's very important. And the most important thing is the clean fast. Yes. I know that's a big uh, topic for you. Do you want to go ahead and, and talk about why you're so passionate about the clean fast? Yeah, we're so pa passionate about it. And Jin, you know, coined that term and she didn't included in delay don't deny because at that point um she was not clean fasting and she's very very open about that and she says that that's why she couldn't stick to fasting for five years she kind of went back and forth because she couldn't make it stick but she really feels like because she wasn't clean fasting so now we're all about the clean fast it helps for a couple of things the favorite thing of course is it really reduces hunger um so the clean fast is unflavored still or sparkling water, completely unflavored, no lemon, no weird stuff, bubblies, all that good stuff, just unflavored, a still or sparkling water, black coffee and uh, black, like unflavored black tea, green tea, anything that's a true herbal tea only made with leaves, no jasmine, no flavoring, you know, nothing like that. No chamomile. Um, Earl Grey is a no because of the bergamot uh, oil. So, you know, just things like that. But that's the clean fast. Basically, anything that's unflavored. If you were going to go take a blood test, what would you be allowed to drink before? That's the clean fast. That's a good barometer. So, yeah. So I think, so the, so the clean fast helps with the hunger. It keeps it at bay. You're not starving all day. People say, oh, it works for me. It doesn't work for you because you keep stopping fasting. It doesn't work for you because you are really struggling through the fast. We know that anything other than the clean fast does not work long-term. And the other reason is because when we drink something that's flavored, whether it has calories or not. So people, I don't know, like, let's say, for example, like, um, uh, I think there's a bunch of kind of sparkling waters that have zero calories that are all flavored and stuff. But the minute you taste something, everything has a potential for an insulin reaction. And if there's an insulin reaction, our fat burning comes to a halt everything comes to a halt because you've broken the fast. 
So that's why we're really huge proponents of, of the clean fast. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, actually, some type ones and I have had this discussion about whether or not a clean fast is applicable to us because you know we have exogenous insulin, right? So, right. Uh, you know, I there's no formal studies on it, but I will say that when I have dirty fasted, which I have done that as well, um, it does make me hungry, even if I don't need insulin, even if it's a diet Coke or some diet, you know, fruit drink, whatever it is, um, with zero calories in it, it makes me hungry. And so that I know for me, I, I can't do it without the clean fast. I've, I did a dirty fast. I did intermittent fasting, dirty fasting, uh, like in 2019 and I couldn't stick with it. And then when I found, you know, gin and she talked about the clean fast, that's when I was finally able to, to stick with it. And, you know, I was, I think you listened to the, the last episode I did about artificially sweetened drinks and how I stopped drinking them and how I was letting them creep into my fasting period for some period of time. And yeah, it was, it was, it was spiking my hunger when my, when my eating window was closed. So that was another cue that I needed to stop doing that. It's so true. And if people are on the fence about it, try it both ways and you'll see, you know, you're more hungry when you, when you have these drinks, these artificially yeah, sweetened drinks. We love hearing stories like that because it is true and it really does keep hunger at bay. And to hear people telling their personal stories about the clean fast, I feel like that is very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a, it seems like it's a minor detail uh, when you're new to fasting. Like, you know, there's so many things to think through, but actually I think the clean fast is probably the most important thing to take away as if you're a new faster, don't, don't think that that's like a, a negotiable thing. It's not, it really isn't like you should clean fast. Otherwise you probably, it probably won't work for you. Yep. We agree a thousand percent. And Jen likes to say that the magic is in the clean fast. And we really do believe that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I, I love that part of your message because I think that's super important. And I want to talk to you too uh, about some other things because I know you're big into exercise or you have been in the past. How have you, maybe you can talk about the exercise that you do or have done and then how it interacts with fasting. Okay. I used to, yeah, I used to work out a lot. I don't work out as much anymore. Um, like I said, I'm really busy at work. So it's taken away a little bit of my workout time. And, um, but for a lot of years I did strength training and things like that, even through, my ADF time, I did strength training and Zumba. I only do movements that I love and I feel like that's the key for everybody. Find an exercise that you love to do, whether it's walking your dog, swimming leisurely, doing some kind of water aerobics, you know, um, bike riding. I love Zumba, I love to dance. Um, so I feel like that's, it's a big stress reducer. So, I mean, there's sometimes, and I'll post my fast that I've done Zumba, like at 36 hours um, fasted, and it's a hard Zumba class. It's not like we're just dancing, we, you know, we're doing jumps and we're doing squats and we're doing all these fun things. But once you become fat adapted, anything is possible. There's endurance athletes um, who who thrive in the fasted state. It's not gonna happen overnight. It's not gonna happen within two weeks. It might not even happen within three months, depending on your diet, how you've been eating. To be honest with you, I didn't become fat adapted and the fasting, the energy level was not there for me for 11 weeks. 
Jen likes to tell people like 14 to three weeks, 14 days to three weeks or something like that. You know, most people can, but people weren't eating like me. I was just eating terribly. So I was very lethargic for 11 weeks, but I kept thinking, I'm going to get over this. I'm going to get over it. I know it. Like I believe in it. And it was like a switch. So after that, I was able to exercise exactly the way I had been. So nobody should be scared of exercising as long as you've worked up to it and you're fat adapted, you're, everything is going to be great. So you're able to do very strenuous workouts, even very deep into your fast. That's good to know. Yeah. And you still correct. feel strong. Don't feel strong. Sometimes I feel stronger. Wow. Okay. I I get very focused. My mind is very scattered. Um, I always have been like that. I have a hard time focusing. I have a hard time concentrating. Um, and that's one of the first things I noticed that fasting did for me. It just brought me this peace and focus that I hadn't had before. And it kind of runs into everything. And exercising is definitely one of them. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, I want to circle back if I can to, to some other topics, because you're interesting because you've been, you've been fasting for four plus almost four and a half years now. And you've been, I know you don't weigh, but are you at a point where you're happy with your weight? Or are you still trying to lose weight or what are, where are you at? No, I'm super happy with my weight. Um, I don't think I'll ever get below this. So I am like at my high school weight. Um, and that's kind of a good gauge. And and, um, so you started out at 200 pounds thereabouts. Yeah. So how right, tall are you? Five, four. Okay. All right. Give or <laughs> I'm four eleven. you know, yes, I, I might be four closer to four ten, but you know, who's counting, right? You're a tiny little thing. My mom's tiny too. My mom's four eleven as well, uh, but she is definitely not 99 pounds or whatever you said you were right. <laughs> um, she is definitely not 99 pounds, but uh, she's tiny as well, and I'm five four with good posture on a good day. And so right now, I fluctuate between. So I started at almost two hundred, and right now I'm fluctuate anywhere between one fifty seven and like one sixty, one sixty one. And that's exactly what my that's exactly what my weight was in high school. My weight in high school is about one sixty five in college as well. So um, that's kind of what my body's comfortable at. And like, what age are you approximately? How old am I? Yeah. Yeah. Like what's your age range or whatever. I, if you're, if you're okay tell, saying it, yeah. saying it. No, I'm 47. Okay. Oh, so, so you're, yeah. That's amazing that you're high school weight at 47. Yeah. 47. I'm at my high school weight and I feel really comfortable in my clothing. I can't say that. Uh, well, except for one caveat, but I'll talk about that in a second, but I, I wear everything that I want to my, I like wearing jeans, dresses, whatever. And I feel comfortable. I feel like this is a good weight for me. I don't. And the minute that something starts to feel tight, that's when I know I need to tighten up a window. Like maybe I have some window creep because window creep is real. By the time you know it, you're eating six hours. By the time you know it, you're eating for eight hours or whatever, you know? So sometimes you kind of have to rein it in, but I can always tell by t-shirts or something that I'm wearing. Um, okay. what was I going to say earlier? Oh, the caveat. Okay. So in all the weight, and I haven't said this before, I haven't even said it in, I haven't even said it in community yet. The only thing that really bothers me is 
I have a, I have a lot of excess skin on my stomach, a lot. Um, so no matter how much I fast that I think genetically my skin is just not, I don't have a lot of like elasticity or something, you know, I just, it's just not bouncing back. And, um, it's been stretched for so long that I feel like I'm not going to get that back like naturally or whatever. So that's the only thing that sometimes bothers me, but, um, nothing else, like there's nothing that, that fasting hasn't fixed. And that's like a very, that's just like a, uh, cosmetic kind of like thing or whatever. So. Well, yeah. But I mean, if, if it makes you, makes you not like your body, I mean, there's, I've seen so many people get surgery to take that away. If it's something that's persistent and the autophagy is not handling it, you know? Yeah. And it is very uncomfortable. It's very heavy. Um, so sometimes I think about it, we'll see, but, um, that's not something I usually talk about because I feel like everybody is different. There's some people who have lost the amount of weight that I have and they just bounce back beautifully, but I am 47. Some people are still in their twenties. Some people are in their thirties and you know, your skin is just different in your forties and getting into your fifties. You know, I take really good care of my skin. You know, I'm always on with SPF and because I'm so fair skinned, um, creams and lotions and things, but still like your genes are your genes. And that's kind of what Jen says in her community as well. Cause some people will ask, Hey, has your skin bounced back? And Jen says, you know, it did in my forties, but my skin is different now in my fifties. And that's just how it is. You know? Yeah. I, I was going to say, I didn't believe you were 47. <laughs> you, you don't oh. look like it at all. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were like 30, not eight or 39, honestly. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm 47. And I have a 27 year old who is just my life. She's a little light. Wow. That's so cool. So you were talking about window creep, obviously, since you've been out this for four plus years, is there, that's one challenge with maintenance. Have, have you had any others or is that pretty much the one that's been the, you know, an no, issue? And I can't really say I ever have window creep. I hear about window creep in the community. I can't say I have window creep. I'm very, I like fasting and I don't, I don't ever really eat more than my up days are a big exception. Up days, I never think about it as an eating window. I just eat whenever I need to or whatever, you know, I, at least eight to 12 hours. But my other daily windows, if it's on an up day, I literally cannot eat more than like five to six hours. Like there's just no way I could do it. I can never go back to doing stuff like that. So me, like my personal problem isn't window creep. I think my personal problem still even after all these years, and this is what I tell people, is that I can still, not as much, but I can still overeat. I think that's my, that's, that's my most difficult challenge, but I don't do it as often either, like I used to. Um, to be honest with you, me, to be honest with you, appetite control is very real, and that has gripped me a lot, especially recently. Yeah. I, I struggle with that too. It's hard sometimes. And, uh, I'm a shoveler. Like I'll just go crazy when <laughs> in my eating window, I'll just go nuts and I just will not stop. And, uh, I have the same problem. Yeah. And I feel like, and that's why I tell the fasters because especially the people who are starting their first 28 days, I love them. We have a 28, we have the first 28 day, like group, a fast start group, uh, the 28 
day fast start group. And I love them because, you know, day three, they're like, I'm eating everything in sight when my window opens. Like, and we're like, Jen is like, that's super common. You're not fat adapted yet. It's going to happen. And I tell them that is going to happen maybe to you for years. And that's just the honest truth. It becomes less, but I can still pack it in, you know, so if I'm hungry, I'm hungry and I can eat quite a bit in three to four hours. I can do some damage. Yeah. Same here. I feel like when I first started fasting, I was better at not overeating. And then as time went on, <laughs> like my overeating tendencies kind of came back. I was like, what's happening here? This should be going the other way. Uh-huh. No. And sometimes, sometimes you go through seasons. There's some seasons of OMAD. There's some seasons of down day up days. There's some seasons where you're eating more than more often than before. I really feel like once you become a faster, you become very in tune with your body and your body reacts to what you want as well. So it might be something hormonal. It might be something's going on in your body where you're fighting a virus. We never know. So we just have to go with what our body is telling us. Yeah, that's right. That makes perfect sense. Uh, well, as we come up on time here, is are we missing anything? Is there any topic that you wanted to discuss that I that I didn't bring up? Um, I don't think so. I think the clean fast was like the best thing. Um, and just knowing, like you said, knowledge is power. Like if anybody, you, you don't want to complicate your fasting journey early on. So if you're not a type one diabetic, I mean, obviously that's a completely separate thing, but if you're not type one diabetic and you just want to reach some health, wellness, weight goals, there's no need to bring in a glucometer day one. That's what I would say, because I do notice that a lot of people are doing like Zoe or getting like a, a CGM really early on. And I feel like for the first few months, you'd kind of need to settle into the fasting lifestyle. But later on, if you really do want to do some deep diving, if you if you really are insulin resistant, if you are um, having trouble managing you know, if you're getting tired during the day, if your A1C is high, if you're, if you have true metabolic issues like that, the best thing you can do is invest in a really cheap glucometer contour next one. I love it. Um, and just start, you know, monitoring yourself. I, but that has to come later, not, not anything early on. And the other thing I would say is Things are going to get hard when you start clean fasting and that's okay. I think I said this with Jen too, you know, you get rashes, people don't sleep, it's uncomfortable, but I really am of the motto, where has comfort gotten us? Comfort has gotten us very unhealthy, especially in the community in which I live in. So that's my passion. Oh, the other thing that we forgot, if this is okay for me to mention, because it is my passion. I don't want to be an influencer and I'm, I'm at all, but I do have an Instagram and I love posting there and it's at fasting rocks, um, fasting F A S T I N G. And then rocks is R O X kind of like a play off of my name. So I try to post really often in there as well as in community, wherever you can get support, especially positive support. I feel like that's very important because most of the time we're fasting on our own. We don't have people in real life who are fasting with us. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's great. And I, I'll link your uh, Instagram in the show notes for this episode so people can find you. That's, uh, you know, I want to thank you for all the work you've done in the, the communities because it's very helpful. You're, you know, a super active member and people need support and you've been there for them. So that's, thank you. Thank you. No, and thank you because I feel like a type one diabetic who has a podcast, I think that's the coolest thing, you know, like I really do. And it sheds a lot of light because I just feel like no matter what the blood glucose issue is, I feel like we're all in this fight together. And the more knowledge that is out there, like you said, knowledge is power. And that's what's important is reaching as many people as we can to be able to get a control to be able to get control over either type one, type two, type three, uh, pre-diabetes. So I just feel like we can reach so many people and that we should all be helping each other. You know, like it's not a competition. I feel like everybody just needs to get in this fight together. Absolutely. Thank you for those parting words. And that makes a lot of sense. And thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was really nice. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.